Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are on the web right now on whatever podcast you're listening to. This is your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. And we have another, another hyped up edition of Cool Radio that is full of topics that we got to get to. Uh, Let me give you guys just a basic rundown of what I have on tap for today's show. So MTV Cribs is set to relaunch once again. We have that. We'll be talking about that. Uh, Dipset will square off against the locks in the latest edition of Versus. That will be happening next month. We're going to get into that as well. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss the, I don't know, rants, meltdown, grind my gears moments that T-Pain had online via Twitch this week. You already know we're going to talk about that. But before we get to all of that, especially the Mike Check, Mike Check segment of the week, which is this one, it hits near and dear to my heart. And this might be one of those uh, rants where you're going to have to get your tea ready because the pot is scolding for me. But before we get to all of that, you already know how I do at the beginning of each episode. I got a little something to get off of my chest. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. What I want to talk about to get the thing uh, or to get the episode started off is Space Jam, A New Legacy. Going to do a quick review on it. Quick review on it just to give you my personal thoughts, views and opinions on the movie. Now, before seeing this movie... We all saw the trailer, or at least the majority of us did, and there was a bit of a divide that I noticed. There's the divide of people who said, oh, wow, this looks like a lot of fun. Cool. Like, they're just going all out with it. Let's see. Let's see how this turns out. I'm kind of looking forward to it. And there was another divide of people who were like, oh, well, it's not the 90s Space Jam. Oh, and it's LeBron. LeBron can never be Michael Jordan. No, this is going to be bad. Why is Hollywood so lazy? Yeah. So you already know where I'm going with this. You already know. Full disclosure, I have seen both Space Jams, both the classic one from 1996 and the current one in 2021. I'm a huge fan of the one from 1996. And some people think I'm joking when I say this, but Space Jam 1996 to me is one of the greatest sports films of all time. Easily. Yes, it's kiddish. Yes, it's super goofy and, and what have you, but it's the Looney Tunes. What do you expect? There are people who say Air Bud is one of the greatest sports movies of all time about a golden retriever playing basketball and then he's playing volleyball and then baseball. And you want to call that the greatest movie or greatest sports movies of all time. But then look at me weird when I say Space Jam is one of the greatest 
sports movies of all time. Give me a break, all right? I'm not even trying to hear all that nonsense. Um, Space Jam 1996 also had one of the greatest film soundtracks of all time. That who that OST? Come on, man. All I want is to be with you all of my days. All I want, all I need. Come on, that that was that was even a single. That wasn't even a single from 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 the album, or was it? No, no, it was. I stand corrected. It, it was, I remember it was Changing Faces, Jay Z, and R. Kelly. There was even a, a music video for it as well. I stand corrected. But nonetheless, that was a slept-on single from that album. Anyways, I could go on for days and wax nostalgia about that film. But we are here in the present in 2021. And I am here to tell you that Space Jam, A New Legacy featuring LeBron James is a good movie. It is a good movie. Now, I'm not going to say whether or not it's better overall than Space Jam. Like, I'm going to, like the original one, I mean, I'm going to leave that all up for interpretation. But I will say, objectively speaking, that there were certain things that this movie did better than in the original Space Jam. So let me talk about it. Um, For now, I'm going to say spoiler alert. I don't know how deep I'm going to get into when it comes to spoilers, but just be warned. I may let a spoiler or two slip out. So if you haven't seen the, have you, if you haven't seen Space Jam, skip this portion of the podcast, and then when you do see it, come back to this portion of the podcast so that you won't get spoiled. All right. So with this version of Space Jam, off the bat, you have LeBron James as your lead, as opposed to Michael Jordan. Now between the two um, players, as far as personalities are concerned, I think. LeBron James has a bit more of a charismatic personality to him. Not to say that Michael Jordan didn't, because he definitely did. But I feel like Michael, or I feel like um, LeBron James isn't afraid to make fun of himself or or parody himself or anything like that. He, I feel like he's a bit more outgoing when it comes to his personality. I mean, we've seen this early in LeBron's career um, during his commercials uh, with Nike. I remember when the the when the first, if not the first, commercial he had with Nike was him. Um, busting through the doors of the church with Bernie Mac doing his sermon. Rest in peace, Bernie Mac, by the way. And, you know, he was uh, seen as the chosen one, King James and what have you. And he had the personality to go with it. And then you had his commercial campaign with Nike called the LeBrons, where he played different versions of himself, like, kind of like Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor. You had Papa LeBron, you had Kid LeBron, you had Cool Hand Luke LeBron, and then you had regular LeBron. Like, he showed so much personality. In, in, in those commercials. Then you have the State Farm. It was either State Farm or Allstate. One of those two commercials where he had some personality. His uh, first ever hosting gig on Saturday Night Live back in 2008. Or was it 07? One of those two. Gang of personality. And then Trainwreck where we where we actually got to see it as a whole. Where he was just playing like a, a parodied version of himself. And he would always refer to himself in the third person. And it was kind of weird. But I loved it. So LeBron has shown over the years that he has personality. And sometimes when you're in a film, that's all you need because you have your method actors, but then you have your personality actors, as I like to call them. Like Will Smith, for example, is a personality actor. He lets his personality shine through the camera, and it's just a little bit more tenfold in each movie that he's in. Um, I feel the same way about Tina Fey, uh, about uh, Seth, Seth Rogen, uh, a few other actors in between. But I digress. So I feel like LeBron, that's what LeBron did. But you're not watching this movie for LeBron's acting because LeBron is an athlete first as far as professions go. And then 
actor you can put that further down the list. But he did well for for all things considered. I also thought that the storyline of the film was done a bit better as well. Like the reason why they had to be in that basketball game made a bit more sense to me than it did in the first Space Jam movie. Now, again, it's a kid's movie. It's very zany. It's wacky. You you just want to get to the main aspect of the film, which is fine. No, I'm not taking any points away from the from the original Space Jam movie. But if we're talking about as far as how everything kind of came together, I actually prefer this version of of Space Jam than I do the original one. Just at least with this aspect. With this aspect. I think they did a very good job of establishing what happened with the Looney Tunes between 96 up until now. And how kind of everyone went in their separate ways. And how LeBron and and Bugs had to recruit everyone from their from their separate, I guess you want to call it timelines or or universes and what have you. So, without getting too far ahead, let me just say this. So basically, the main plot of the film, and this isn't a spoiler when I say this, is that LeBron is a very strict parental figure, and when it comes to basketball, especially. He wants his kids to be the very best that he that, that they can be. Because when he was a kid, uh, he was scolded by his original AAU coach about not being focused and what have you, even though he had all the talent in the world. So he took that to heart. So going forward, him as a parent and as a coach, you know, for uh, for his kids and what have you, he always wants the best for his kids. His oldest son kind of gets it. His younger one, who's really into tech and gaming. He likes basketball, but basketball isn't his niche. Gaming is his niche. Basketball is cool to him, but tech is where it's at for him. And LeBron doesn't really acknowledge that. He wants him to be a basketball player. He's trying to get him into basketball camp and all that stuff. But LeBron's kidding, trying to hear. His youngest kid, he's not, or sorry, his youngest son, I should say, is not trying to hear it. So his kid is all about, you know, just let me do me. I want to be what I want to be kind of thing. So they go into Warner Brothers Studios um, for some meeting that LeBron, LeBron is having. And he takes his uh, youngest son with them. And they're pitching this idea to him about how uh, LeBron as a cartoon character will appear in different Warner Brothers properties and stuff like that. And the entity that kind of made up that idea is an algorithm within Warner Brothers' tech system called Rhythm, which is played by Don Cheadle. And Rhythm is thinking, yo, these ideas are great, they're innovative, whatever, whatever, whatever. But then LeBron said, yeah, I'm not kind of feeling these ideas, they're kind of whack. But then his son, his youngest son, Dom, is like, oh, I think these ideas are cool. In fact, I'm making a video game, and I'm trying to do this, that, and a third. And... LeBron's like, yeah, we're not here to talk about that. So he kind of dismisses him on that altogether and even dismisses the idea of him going to tech camp for some E3, um, some E3 uh, convention and what have you. So anyways, they get into a spat and then and then Dom gets lost in uh, the tech area of Warner Brothers headquarters and then he gets trapped in what's called the serververse. So we've seen this in the trailer. Um, LeBron follows him into the serververse. And basically, he, he goes face-to-face with Algy Rhythm. And Algy basically just lets him know. It's like, hey, if you want your son back, you got to win me. You got to win against me in a one-on-one. Or not a one-on-one game of basketball. But you got to win against me in a game of basketball. I choose my players. You choose yours, et cetera, et cetera. So he sends him to Looney World, which you've seen already. And then he meets up with Bugs. But then what we see in the world of Looney Tunes that we didn't see in the trailer is that 
Bugs is the only character remaining in the Looney Tunes world. Like no one else is there. Everyone else went into their into their own separate thing. So you see them trying to recruit everyone um, from from the original gang. So they try to get Daffy back, and Daffy's trying to be his own version of Superman. So he's in the DC Comics world where the actual Justice League is at, like the animated Justice League, basically. So they get him, and then they get um they get Lola Lola Bunny from uh, from the world of Wonder Woman, basically. So they get her. They get um, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner from. What you may call it from the um, the Mad Max movie and what have you. They get everyone from wherever corner of the serververse or the Warner Brothers serververse that everyone is in. You even see a, a quick cameo from Rick and Morty, and they basically have a Tasmanian devil. And they're like, "Yo, we don't want this guy anymore. He's your problem now." So they basically round up everyone to to get the gang back in shape and all that stuff. So I like the setup. I like of how they had to get everyone back. And then as far as Algae Rhythm side, as far as how we get the Goon Squad, it's not the same as the 96 movie where you have some aliens who took the talents of established NBA players. Instead, what happened was, and again, spoiler territory over here, Dom um, created his own basketball video game. It's like a version of NBA Jam, basically, but but to the next level. And so he was able to scan um, the the abilities of guys like Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard and some some of the uh, WNBA players like um, Diana Taurasi and Eneka Ogumike. And so he scanned their their movements and what have you, like, almost kind of like you would with a motion cap suit and put it into the video game that, he, that he's trying to create. But what he did for... You know, for the serververse, uh, for the serververse basketball game that they're about to do, is that they made them into actual like CG figures and what have you. So, in the commercial or the or the trailer, that's how you get Anthony Davis looking like a big eagle. You have Clay Thompson looking like uh, you know the Human Torch, and then you know some some sort of Aqua mutant looking thingy, and a whole bunch of other things in between. So that's how you get that setup essentially. All right, so. How they went about it was really cool because to me, it had like a Ready Player One kind of vibe where you had all these intellectual properties who were just kind of there to like watch the game and spectate. And then they made it like some sort of ultra futuristic video game. Like it reminded me of NBA Jam, NBA Street. It had even like some sort of like Tron vibe to it. You had to like bounce on like these like arrow buttons where it would make you jump sky high so you can do like a slam dunk um points were like 50 points each for like every point you were scoring you would get style points for how you would do a move and all that stuff like it was really cool the way they set it up they set it up like a modern day futuristic video game and i honestly with that context and and parameters in mind it makes the movie make more sense if you're going the zany and wacky and loony route and i think they took the right approach to it for me, I think the only part where I kind of cringed was the part where Porky Pig was rapping. That, that was the only part where I cringed. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Because it didn't really fit anywhere within the context of the film. I know, and as, as you're watching a film, it'll say, oh, this is the bonus round or something like that, right? Which I get from a video game standpoint because let's say you're playing Street Fighter or you're playing Mortal Kombat, you win your first three rounds as you're going through the story mode or or just the arcade mode in general, and then you hit the bonus stage where you can score some more points. So I guess from a video game standpoint, I get it, but at the same time, 
I couldn't help but feel that someone at Warner Brothers Studios said, we need to add this part in there. It's going to sell. It's such good shit. And so, of course, they went the they, they, they went the very cliche route of, you know, giving him his own rap name. They called him the notorious P.I.G. Porky Pig. Ha ha ha. They even had him rapping over a beat that Biggie spit over. It was Flavor in Your Ear remix. And I guess... I mean, was Bad Boy under Warner Brothers as a distributor back in the 90s? I'd have to do some research on that because that's the only way I can even think of them being able to get the rights to that beat and what have you or to do a cover on it. But anyways, that's besides the point. That's the nerd of me talking. Um, that was the only cringy part for me. I don't know how kids were going to were going to receive it. But if I go back into the 90s Space Jam movie, I'm sure there are some parts where I watch right now and be like, oh, that is cringe. That is cringe. But anyways, overall, not to get too deep into the details, um, overall, there were some things that they did right in this movie. So like the setup of how, you know, the, the game comes about. LeBron's performance in the movie was really cool. Um, I thought the voice acting was really cool uh, for all the cartoon characters. I thought Don Cheadle as a villain was fantastic. He was having fun. He was having so much fun. The last thing I saw him in was... Um, was basically one of the Marvel movies. Um, so I think it was, what, Endgame I saw him in, and he had a very short cameo in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where he was being, like, very militant and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I think he, he really let his personality shine in it. And Cheeto's been a fantastic actor for his entire career. Like, from the moment we saw him in Fresh, in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on that one episode, it's like you could tell, like, this guy has what it takes. And, like, in this movie, it's no different. So I really liked his performance in this in this. Uh, in this movie um overall like it was i had fun with it like i would actually watch this again like no cap i would actually watch this again because i had that much fun with it so honestly if i had like out of like you know my my cool rating system like out of 10 i'd give it about i'm gonna say probably anywhere between seven to seven and a half cools out of 10 like legit i had fun with it like i didn't go into it trying to compare it to the first space jam movie because i knew if you if you do something like that you're not gonna have fun with it and i can only imagine what lebron haters would think of this movie like oh you know he's he's not that good of an actor he's not even clutch in in movies when i'm mad it's like i'm not i can only imagine what they're gonna say but but I don't even care like to that level, but of course they're gonna say some dumb shit like that. Um, I watched it with my dad, and <laughs> of course my dad had the nostalgia glasses on, and he was all like, "Oh, the soundtrack's not as good as the first one. The first one had music playing all throughout." And I'm like, "I get it. Don't get me wrong. The soundtrack was bomb, but you're talking about a completely different sound of music." As compared to 25 years later, hell, music between 1996 to 2000 sounds completely different, let alone 25 years later. And a soundtrack doesn't make for an entire movie. If anything, the soundtrack, I'm not even talking about the score of a movie. I'm talking about the soundtrack, like all the recording artists that collaborate together on one project. That is more like the sprinkles on top. That has no bearing on the actual movie itself. If anything, it's seen as a complimentary piece. It's seen as a bonus. You know what I mean? But I get it. I get it. Like that style of music is is very fun to reminisce upon and very fun to listen to and what have you. Um, I would say that, you know, take soundtrack aside, there may be certain aspects about Space Jam that were really cool back in the day uh, versus what you have from today. 
For example, I in the first Space Jam movie, I really liked how the NBA players like Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing had a reasonable amount of screen time and we got to see their personalities shine through the camera. I really I really dug that. I really enjoyed that. You don't get to see that as much in this current film. So you don't really see the personalities of of Anthony Davis or Aneka Ogumike or Diana Taurasi and what have you. Not as much. They do show it a little bit here and there, but not as much. Um, and then, oh, of course, we do get some cameos here and there. I know I said light spoilers, but I'll let you guys, you know, dive into that one later on. But anyways, overall, I had fun with this movie. It was a good watch. I think the kids are going to go crazy for it. I think adults who watched it or people who are now adults who watched it as kids back in the day, as long as they have an open mind, they will actually learn to enjoy it. And you can enjoy it for what it is. You can enjoy it for what it is for this certain timeline, for this time period and what have you. I mean, if I had to make an example, I remember I was watching a couple of years. Ago, I was watching the latest Ninja Turtles cartoon that's on Nickelodeon. And it's like it's 2D. Um, and the way they broke it up, it's almost like watching SpongeBob or they have like an episode for like 15 minutes and they cut it and then it goes into a next episode into like a 30 minute block. That's how they, they stylize it nowadays. For me, it wasn't my jam, and I wasn't even trying to compare it to the original one. I'm just watching for what it was. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. But if the kids like it, cool. No harm done. I feel like with this movie, I feel like I can enjoy it without having to refer back to the original Space Jam. I can just watch it for what it is, and that's what it should be about. But anyways, I think I'm kind of running long on this review. It's a good it's a good movie. I give it to anywhere between a 7 to a 7.5 out of 10. Good fun. Watch it. Um, I've only watched it once. I'll definitely watch it again. Uh, but you guys let me know what you think of the film when, whenever you go watch it. Let me know because I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on it. All right. So now let's go in on the mic check segment of the week. And this one comes by way of ESPN personality Stephen A. Smith, a.k.a. Stephen Lame Smith. A.K.A. Stephen Gaping Asshole Smith. A.K.A. The A in Stephen A. Smith stands for asshole. Let's go in on that guy real quick. Actually, not even real quick. This is going to be a while, actually. this Because I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I mean, it's not the first time I've mentioned him on my pod before. But this time, oh, he's crossed the line now. He has crossed the line. So there are two instances this week where he just went off the rails with his quote unquote analysis. Let me give you some insight on the first one that happened this week. So he was commenting on a baseball player who goes by the name of Shohei Otani. All right. So Shohei Otani is of Asian descent and he came to America not that long ago, to be honest, in, in order to pursue a career in baseball. And he's arguably the biggest star in baseball right now. He just had a phenomenal showing at the uh, at the Home Run Derby during their All-Star weekend. And he's slated to be one of the main faces of the, of the MLB right now. So Stephen A went on one of his overly theatrical soliloquies and stated how if he wants to be the face of the MLB, then he has to learn how to speak English because 
fans won't won't rally behind a guy who is an American. Someone who's better suited to be the face of the MLB is somebody like a Bryce Harper. So I'm paraphrasing when I say all that, but that's generally the gist of what he said. And all the players that he mentioned as being the potential faces of the MLB were all white guys. Surprise, surprise. So let me go on this one real quick because I am not a baseball expert by any means of the imagination. But what I will say is this. Talent supersedes all, first and foremost. So if you are talented at any sport, in any major team North American sport, whatever it may be, or just any team sport in general in North America that gets some type of publicity, people will basically forget the fact that you are of a particular ethnicity and they will watch you at the very least solely for your for your value to that team and your skills and everything that you possess. Look at Jackie Robinson, for example. He was so amazing at baseball that he broke the color barrier, which was integral for allowing players who originally played in the Negro League, and it was actually called the Negro League at one freaking point in time, to integrate with Major League Baseball. That's how good he was. People were eventually able to let go of the fact that he was black and appreciate him for the player that he was. And he became the face of the MLB for a period in time. All right? So that should be no different for for Shohei Otani if that's the case. You even look at, in the NBA, for for example, you look at someone like Luka Doncic, for example. Luka Doncic is easily one of the top 10 players in the NBA right now and is well on his way to becoming one of the top five players in the league because of his amazing play on the court. In fact, if you even look at it, if you even look at the last three years in the NBA, the last three years in the NBA, we have had two players win the MVP award who weren't from America. You had Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was currently playing in the NBA Finals right now, who just went up 3-2, against the Phoenix Suns and could very well win an NBA championship come Tuesday night. He won the the MVP award back-to-back years in 2019 and in 2020. On top of that, also being named the Defensive Player of the Year in 2020, a feat that hadn't been done since Akeem Olajuwon, another international player back in 1994. Both are of Nigerian ethnicity. Speaking of Nigeria, we will get to that in a moment. Oh, I promise you that. And then last year, or sorry, not last year, this year's MVP was Nikola Jokic, an Eastern Eastern European player. All right. The runner up for MVP this year was Joel Embiid, a player from Cameroon originally. All right. So I say all that to say that no matter where you're from in this world, if you are playing your sport of choice at a high level, you will be recognized for it, and you will be acknowledged as a great player, regardless how, of how bad or, or how poor your English may be. And speaking of which, I've heard this Otani gentleman speak. His English is fine. He has an accent to it, but it doesn't impede my ability to understand what he's saying. And yes, he does have a speech coach because A, he's still learning the nuances of English and B, he wants to make sure that whatever he's saying to the press comes across as correct so that the media doesn't misconstrue 
misconstrue anything that he's saying because we know how the media likes to run with things and hype things up, especially when it comes to mainstream media. All right. So there's that. And for Stephen A to make those comments. It's just idiotic to say the least. And I'm going to go in on that a little bit more when it comes to Stephen A. So speaking of which, I mentioned Nigeria. And the reason why I mentioned Nigeria is because of the fact that Stephen A made some comments about the Nigerian basketball team that recently beat America in an exhibition game. I think the score was 90 to 87. And he had a few choice words to say about the Nigerian basketball team. So let's go and listen to what Mr. Stephen Asshole Smith had to say about Team Nigeria basketball. Bonafide, bonafide stars in the National Basketball Association. We can pick at least 15 to 20 of them. Half of them are on this damn roster. There's no excuse to lose to Nigeria. Some dude, Gabe Namdi, who goes by Gabe Vincent for the Miami Heat, a Caleb Agata, a, a Namu, however the hell you pronounce his name. You give up 60 points on. However the hell you pronounce his name. However the hell you pronounce his name, he said. First and foremost, Stephen Asshole Smith put some respect on his name, as well as the names of these Nigerian basketball players and Nigerians in general. That's the first thing. Secondly, in Journalism School 101, your main duty as a journalist or a figure, front-facing figure within the media, is to learn how to pronounce anyone's name regardless of their background, whether they're English, whether they're Nigerian, whatever the case may be. Learn how to pronounce their name correctly. When I was in journalism school, we were taught that if we're doing, whether it's a live or a quarter broadcast, we were told to write their names out phonetically so that we can get the correct pronunciation down. As far as spelling it correctly, we leave that to the people in the back who can take care of the graphic keys and stuff like that when they plaster it onto the television screen. But as far as saying it or orating it, essentially, you have to write it out phonetically so that you get the proper pronunciation of it. Or even if you do flub on it, All you have to do is say, oh, my apologies if I'm saying that incorrectly. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. But what does this guy do? Oh, you gave an Namdi or or, uh, this guy named who goes by Gabe Vincent in Miami or in uh, however the hell you say his name. What? Listen. As someone, and I take this personally for obvious reasons, but let me just go in on that. As someone who is of both Ghanaian and Nigerian descent, and someone who's just of immediate African descent in general, my whole life, I've heard people mispronounce my last name, which I find very easy to say. It's Mante. I just tell people to pretend that it's French. But I've heard so many variations of it. I've heard Monte. I've heard Monty. I've heard Mant. I was like, ooh, ooh, never again, please. <laughs> I've heard it all. It's to the point where, like, I'm just tired of correcting people. I'm like, all right, whatever. Fuck it. 
But I've heard other people that I know of who have more traditional African names, like as far as their first names are concerned, whether it is something like Enamdi or Eneka or Nkrumah or Olutobe or Olubuwale or anything like that. I've heard people with those names before and I've heard other people butcher those names and not even try to pronounce them correctly. What I hate even more about it, about the situation, as it pertains to Stephen A. Smith, is that he is a black man saying this. It's one thing if a white guy or a white person in general were to say some shit like this. Because not that I'm saying it's right, but I would expect it, seeing how there are a lot of white people in this world who are ignorant towards other cultures and how a lot of white people aren't cultured to other things that revolve outside of America. But for Stephen A. Smith, someone who's of African-American descent, someone who carries a bloodline of a people group who have been heavily marginalized and disenfranchised and have had their entire genealogical history whitewashed away from them because of slavery and the lingering effects of slavery from slavery to Jim Crow so on and so forth you would think that he would carry an air of empathy and just have some sort of willingness to pronounce the name correctly and just as a person of color altogether to be respectful of these things but no he doesn't and this doesn't, and this is this is a sin of American culture because for a lot of Americans, they're trapped in their own bubble and nothing else matters to them unless if it's within their bubble. But when we're pertaining to a black person in, in, in particular, there are some black Americans, not all, because I've met plenty who are well aware of, you know, the history of, of black Americans or what have you. And this rant is not going towards them like they're 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 a OK in my books. They already know who they are. I'm talking about the black Americans who don't know and choose not to know and don't care about their African lineage. I'm not saying that you have to go all uh, Umar Johnson on them. By the way, I don't even like him anyway. I'm not saying that you have to be the next Nelson Mandela. I'm just saying be aware of your original roots in history and don't scoff at it. Don't scoff at it even for a second. But Stephen A. Smith scoffs at it. And I don't know if it's because he's still trying to play into this TV personality heel character that he's been doing for almost a decade now. I don't know if it's because he has such a hefty bag from ESPN that he's got to turn it all the way to 25 out of 10. But to show that level of disrespect is totally uncalled for. And as a black man especially, it makes you look like a coon. A coon. Yeah, I said it. A coon. And then the apology, the weak-ass apology that he gave at the at a couple of days later when he received so much backlash. That apology was weaker than his hairline. Straight up. And what killed me about that apology is that he went in on he went in depth on his apology towards uh, Shohei Atani and anyone who is a representative of the Asian community or the AAPI community as a whole. And as he should, he should go in on that apology. I know it's fake, but at least make it look like you're that you're sincere about it. 
But then when it came to his apology towards uh, the Nigerian basketball team and any member of the Nigerian community, it was very brief. It wasn't even a minute long. And then even during his apology, he tried to say how there are plenty of Nigerian athletes I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of, you know, Kamaru uh, Uzman, and I'm also a fan of Francis Ngannou. Stop. Stop. You are making yourself look even worse. And you want to know why you're making yourself look even worse? It's because of the fact that you can't even get some of the, some of the, the, uh, what you would call it? Some of the nationalities correct. Francis Ngannou is not Nigerian. He's from Cameroon, you jackass. I mean, yeah, next door neighbor of Nigeria, but still, at least try and get it correctly. I mean, that's like saying that Shohei Otani is Vietnamese when he's not. So, again, this goes back to my point. If you're going to fake an apology, at least fake it correctly. (sighs) Now, needless to say, a lot of members of the Nigerian community went at Stephen A with 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 without remorse as they should one of the members of that national team said to put some respect on their names and don't forget about your roots and where you come from facts um chine ogumike who is the younger sister of aneka ogumike who is also an, an espn personality and a wnba player humbly you know corrected stephen a smith I wish he had went in a little bit harsher, but I get it. You work for ESPN as well as he does. You don't want any backlash. I get it. You got to play the game. I get it. But lots of people went in on Stephen A as they should have. This guy, he pisses me off so much. He, he's such a jackass. Like what he is now is a parody of, of, of what he used to be. And I get it. Even in the early days, he was just loud and abrasive from time to time. But he at least was spitting facts about what you saw on the court. Nowadays, not even nowadays, I would say for like the last five, seven years, you've seen the wrestling character come out of him. And this just goes part and parcel with what you see nowadays on television as, as, it, as it pertains to sports media. A lot of people on these mainstream networks are coming across as caricatures of sports personalities and to me it started off with skip bayless with his long-lasting career-long hatred of lebron james which has made him millions of dollars in that industry and Stephen a has followed suit of course because he is now the highest paid talent on espn where he covers everything now i did mention that he issued out an apology on on television but let me ask you guys this and I'm sure some of you were, were up on what happened about two weeks ago, roughly, with Rachel Nichols and that leaked phone conversation that she had with an ESPN executive with regards to uh, Maria Taylor. Now, she got dragged under the mud for that. And that one, is a, that one ha- has a lot more to do with ESPN than it does Rachel Nichols, in my personal opinion. But think of how much backlash she got and how she got reprimanded. Maybe a day after the, the reports came out, 
she had to apologize on national television to start off her show and had to get two black on-air personalities to co-sign that as well, which is very uncomfortable. And then on the next day, she couldn't even do her own show. Her own show. So she definitely got penalized for it to some certain extent. But with Stephen A. Smith, all he had to do was issue out some weak-ass apology, and it was back to business as usual. Why? Because he's their highest-paid earner, and he does like at least a quarter of the gigs that, that are on ESPN right now. He covers basketball. He'll cover MMA, which he shouldn't be doing in the first place. He'll cover MLB. This guy covers damn near everything on ESPN, it seems like. And on top of that, this isn't the first time of him showing some xenophobic tendencies. It's not. It's really not the first time. For example, I thought he had something against Canadians in particular because anytime a Toronto or a Canadian-based team or player was mentioned, he was very dismissive of said team or player. <coughs> For example, in 2015... When the Blue Jays won the American League East, there was a segment dedicated to that on the show First Take, which he is a part of. And Skip Bayless was originally a part of as well. And they were there to talk about the Blue Jays winning the AL East. So Skip Bayless talked about it. And not only talked about it, but he was in love with the Blue Jays. It was almost like his love for the Spurs. I never knew that. I was like, oh. Wasn't expecting that. Cool. But with Stephen A. Smith, this guy, for the entire segment, did not even mention the Blue Jays. He didn't mention Encarnacion. He didn't mention uh, uh, Batista. He didn't mention no one from the Blue Jays. All he said was how much it would have been cool if his Yankees had won the wild card and what the Yankees would have done if they had won said wild card matchup. Bloviated about, oh, my Yankees, we would have been able to do something if we had won the wild card. Oh, my gosh. Dog, we're not here to talk fantasy. We're here to talk about reality. And then he talked about, in a different segment, of course, and I think it was a totally different episode altogether, he mentioned Andrew Wiggins. And Jabari Parker, because they're talking about who was most likely to win the Rookie of the Year award. And we're already playing in season. And Andrew Wiggins was having a very good rookie campaign at that point. And Jabari Parker was in and out of the line because of injuries. This guy was talking about Jabari Parker is a clear-cut favorite. His game reminds me of Melo. He's he's NBA ready. Wiggins, I don't know. I just don't see it. Even though, statistically speaking, Wiggins was averaging more in the stat category, in the stat column, than Parker. And on top of that, had played more games than Parker up until that point of the season. But don't even say that his Canadian bias didn't even come into factor. Because I don't believe that for a second. And then, of course, when it comes to the Toronto Raptors. So he's gone out of his way to dismiss the Raptors plenty of times, plenty of times. Even with Kawhi Leonard on the team, 
he has dismissed them before. And if he had complimented the Toronto Raptors, it was only in, in spite of Kawhi. So he would mention how Kawhi is doing a phenomenal job, but then won't even give the flowers to Siakam or Van Vliet or Powell or anyone who's on the team, or even Coach Nurse for that matter, saying how, oh, if Dwayne Casey was the coach, he would have taken them to the finals too. No, he wouldn't. Shut the fuck up. Anyways, the worst comment that I heard from Stephen A. Smith, and this... I was already solidified at this point that he was a xenophobic jerk, but this one was the cherry on top. And he said, and I quote, damn near 100% quote from, from Stephen A. Smith. He said, I don't want to see the Toronto Raptors win another championship because they're from Canada and Canada doesn't like basketball. They only respect hockey. Are you dumb? Do you not know the ratings of the NBA Finals on Canadian television? Obviously, he doesn't. But let me guys, let me just give you guys a glimpse of what the ratings were. At their peak, the ratings for the NBA Finals was at 10 million views. 10 million. You know what 10 million means? In Canada, at least. 10 million means that one third of the nation was tuning in. Canada has a population of about 30 million people. And out of those 30 million, 10 million homes were tuned in. One third of the population was tuning into a basketball game. And you're going to try and tell me and other people alike that Canada doesn't care about basketball? Now, I'll say that Canadian media may not care about basketball the way that they care about hockey. I'll give you that. Because I've seen that firsthand. But the people as a whole, listen, no sport and no team in this country galvanized the country more than the Toronto Raptors have done. And I would say at the very least in the last 10 years. You know why? Because they won the championship. By far, the Raptors have the largest minority fan base. And you already have some white people sprinkled in there in between. That's Canada right there. The Blue Jays could probably accomplish that too. I can see the Blue Jays doing that. But the Maple Leafs? Hell fucking no. Nobody outside of Toronto or even outside of the GTA is going to cheer for the Maple Leafs. Because literally the entire country hates the Maple Leafs. They're not getting that kind of love. Toronto FC and the MLS isn't getting that kind of love. Because you got the Vancouver Whitecaps out west. The Argos aren't getting that love. They're only getting that in Toronto because there's other teams sprinkled out in the CFL in Canada. And then, of course, we have no NFL team. So what else do you want? What more proof do you want? I'm going to wrap up this topic like this. Stephen A. Smith is a lame. He's a lame. He's a coon. He's a fraud. And he's a parody and a caricature of what it means to be to be a sports journalist and personality as a whole. Your role in sports media is to give people your honest take on sports. Not to give us an exaggerated take, but an honest take and put your own personality and spin into it. But overall, tell us the truth. This is why I appreciate people like Tim McAuliffe. This is why I appreciate people like Kenny the Jet Smith. This is why I appreciate people like Cabral Richards. 
This is why I appreciate people like Jalen Rose. There's a bunch of Jamel Hill. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jamel Hill. I appreciate someone like a Jamel Hill. This, this is why, this is why you need honest people such as those and others in between to deliver to be to be delivering the news when it comes to sports media, media as a whole. But I'm just keeping it to sports media for a second. Because there are a lot of frauds out there, like Stephen A., who will coon for the check. And that's exactly what he's doing. And one thing that they also teach you in journalism school is to make the subject about, make the story about the subject. Don't make the story about you. And far too many times has Stephen A. made the story about himself. I'll never forget when he tried to call out Kevin Durant and tried to say, you don't want to make an enemy out of me. Talking about, I have my sources. I hear from someone, someone, so on and so forth, who happens to be a very good friend of mine, that this is going to happen. Shut up. Shut up. We don't care who your sources are. We don't care about you. We care about the news and the stories that are being reported and the information behind them. We don't care about you, Stephen Lame Smith. You don't revolve in this universe. The only people who want to engage with you are internet trolls and people who have nothing to do better with their time than to try and debate with you. I'm not saying that he's dumb. I'm not saying that he's not intelligent because he actually is. He knows his shit when it comes to basketball. But the problem with him and other people alike is that they play so much into this into this wrestling gimmick of the character that they have on screen that whatever quote unquote facts that they're reporting on, they're either not telling the whole story or they're telling you something that's completely way off that it almost makes you feel as if that your intelligence is being insulted right in front of your very eyes. They may as well call you stupid at that point. So I don't respect Stephen A. Smith. I mean, if you want to get the bag, you want to coon off for the bag, do what you got to do. But just know that your credentials and, and, and your merit as a sports journalist have plummeted. I don't care if you worked for the Philadelphia Inquirer for the 25 years before you got your big shot. I don't give a shit because what you're saying right now is fraudulent as fuck. And the fact that you went on national television to purposely um, say an ethnic name incorrectly all because you don't vibe with that team. All because they're not from USA. All because your far right wing ass is mandated to be a jackass when it comes to minorities. Even though you yourself are a minority, Stephen A. Smith. I have no respect for this guy. He can kiss my ass. And that's my take on that. All right, now. Let's get to trip talk, all right? Three of the hottest topics that took place this week in pop culture. With that, let's get to it. MTV has announced that one of its classic original programming shows, MTV Cribs, has been rebooted and it is slated for a release date of August 11th, 2021. 
the guests of this of the season are going to include Big Sean, Rick Ross, Tanache, Snooky from Jersey Shore, former NBA player Nick Young, and a whole lot more. Now, growing up as a teenager, I thought the show I thought the show was kind of cool. I thought it was cool that we got to have like an inside look at the the homes of these celebrities, whether they were rappers or pop singers or athletes or what have you. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a pretty uh, intimate take on how these how these people are living and what have you. And I thought it was kind of interesting, and kind of fun. Now, over time, I kind of grew out of it because like I'm not trying to, you know, glorify or glamorize the lifestyles of the rich and famous because it got bored after a while. It, it was kind of a boring stick. Not to mention, whenever there was a rapper featured on an episode, literally. Every other rapper would always have Scarface playing in the background. Like that was like some sort of MTV Cribs mandate. Like every rapper has to have Scarface playing in the background. If not Scarface, it's some sort of mafioso flick. It was one of the two. I, I just thought it, it, it kind of got boring and repetitive. Now, I don't know what they're going to do this time around to make it different. I'm sure they're going to stick to some of the classic tropes of Cribs that made it uh, well-known commodity but it would be cool if they made it different somehow i don't know how they would spruce it up but i guess time will tell when when it eventually makes its uh rebooting debut so to speak but hey good for mtv for putting out you know original content once again right um i couldn't even tell you when the last time i watched mtv was the last time i think maybe it may have been making the band it may have been the real world or or the challenge, it may be one of one of those shows, but yeah, Cribs. I can't even remember the last time I watched Cribs. Maybe when I was in high school or maybe first year of college, but that was about it, really. But hey, good for them. Um, they're making a comeback. You got some big names signing up to to be a part of that, and we'll see how it goes. We will definitely see how it goes. Uh, but what do y'all think about that? Let me know. Uh, and yeah, let's talk about it. Next topic: uh, Dipset will square off against the Locks. In the latest edition of Versus, that show is going to go down on August 6th. Now, this one is going to be interesting. I wish I was more excited for it, to be honest. I'm not as. And the only reason why I say that is because I feel like, and even though there is a juxtaposition between the locks and Dipset, I feel like if we're talking about the 2000s, Dipset had a much larger movement than the locks in my personal opinion i wasn't even that huge of a fan of dipset but they were everywhere you can even make an argument i know some people may cuss me out for this but i'm gonna say it right here and right now on cool radio but you can even make an argument that dipset were the originators of trap music it's not the trap music that we know and love today but you could say that they were the ones who planted the seeds for trap music Dipset were the ones that basically made Lil Wayne into a respectable MC. Because before Dipset, Lil Wayne was still doing his typical flows and what have you. But by the time he started collaborating with Dipset and he was getting on the mic with guys like Cameron and J.R. Ryder, he was highlighting himself as, as a worthy lyricist. Dipset pretty much put him on in that regard. I will say that. Dipset had, had factions all over the place. They even had a faction in the UK. They had Dipset UK. Like, they had an actual movement going on. It almost reminded me of the Wu-Tang Clan when they had their Wu affiliates. 
You know what I mean? Like mathematics and and um, and Shaheem and, and and all these guys who were Wu affiliates who were kind of doing their own thing. That that's basically what Dipset did for the two thousands. Whereas the Locks, I feel like the Locks was more. They were more. They weren't really into the theatrics as Dipset was. Dipset. You know, they came with their, even though Dipset was like underground, they're borderline mainstream to a certain extent. And they're all super flashy because these people are coming in from like Harlem, right? And Harlem's super flashy and what have you. But with Dipset, or sorry, with uh, the locks, they're gritty and grimy and stuff like that. And the 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 locks didn't have didn't have any affiliates outside of, uh, what was it, Jay Hood, I think his name was? Was it Jay Hood? They didn't have any affiliates apart from, from that rapper. So they are very small, very close close-knit so i don't know to me it's a bit of a wild juxtaposition for for a versus and i feel like dipset will probably have the upper hand when it comes to hits even if we're talking about street hits and stuff like that i think dipset will still have the advantage i i don't know how it's going to pan out i'll tune in and see how it does and see how it goes but i don't know how it's going to pan out now if we're doing fantasy booking over here the much more appealing matchup would have been Dipset versus G-Unit. Oh, if you told me it was G-Unit going at Dipset and vice versa, oh, I'd be there day one. What? Because G-Unit was very similar in, in, in terms of, like, they had their own faction going on. Like, you had your core members, which were Lloyd Banks and Tony Ayo. Then you had Young Buck. Then you had The Game. Then you had... um. Uh, was a Spider Loke. Then you had Mob Deep. Then you had MOP. Then you had Mace. Like you had, you had different splinters and factions of G Unit at one point in time, and they had the underground hits, but they also had the mainstream hits as well to go with that. That would have been the much more appealing matchup, especially when you consider the fact that Jim, uh, not Jim Jones, but um, Cameron and Fifty uh, traded bars against one another back in 07, I think it was. That would have been a much more appealing matchup, but hey, it is what it is. Either way, I'm most likely going to tune in, uh, see how it goes, and then we'll just go from there. So you guys let me know how you're feeling about that, if you're anticipating it, and let me know if you are going to be glued in front of your computer or your phone as it happens. And the final topic of Trip Talk, T-Pain. Okay, so T-Pain. This week, he went off on a, t- a video that he did on Twitch, and he was basically calling out rappers of this current generation as far as not coming with anything original and sounding like this rapper and that rapper and what have you. So he had a pretty large rant that he went upon, and this is exactly what he said in his Twitch video. oh my god that was hilarious do something else do something else holy shit (laughs) 
<laughs> that was great. That was absolutely fantastic. Oh, my God. That was one of the best rants I've heard in quite some time. He was like, do something else. Do something else. We already have this music. Do something else. Shit. But, you know, through the theatrics and what have you, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. A lot of rappers nowadays, I would say over like the last three or four years in particular, have sounded very cookie cut and have sounded very generic. And they basically copy whatever a current hot rapper is doing. And they just and they don't even put their own spin on it. They just kind of copy and paste it verbatim and just kind of, you know, do whatever it is that they have of their quote unquote own thing. And it comes for it comes as very lazy and uninspiring. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I haven't really gotten into a lot of the rappers who are popular in today's generation. I mean, I'm still kind of hung up on the rap on the rappers that I was listening to from the last decade. So Drake, Kendrick, J. Cole, Big Crit, Logic, um, Sai High the Prince, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. I think I said Big Crit as well. Um, <laughs> listening to those ones, Childish Gambino, listening to those ones. But like, I've rarely sat down and listened to any rappers who were more relevant within the generation over the last year, two years, three years. I've heard a few records from the baby. I've heard a few records from little baby, uh, but maybe one from Roddy rich. I haven't really listened to um, YBN Corday, although he did have a verse on, on uh, Nas's record. Life is like a dice game. I thought his verse was pretty dope on that. But there's not a whole lot that I've listened to. Like, I would literally have to have somebody recommend to me a rapper that they think has solid potential to be one of the next greats and what have you. And I know that's a lot to ask for, but, like, at the very least, someone who sounds like that they have the potential to do it, you know? And I just haven't heard that from today's generation. So, and, it, it, and mind you, it's not even, it doesn't even have anything to do with, like, is he underground? Is he mainstream? Just, like, is he talented or she? Are they talented? Period. That's all I want to know. Like, because there are a lot of mainstream rappers that I like who have, like, the ear for that mainstream sound and what have you. And then there's a lot of underground ones I like, and there's a lot of, a lot of rappers who can kind of put the two together that I like. I like that. But I haven't heard that much from many of the rappers of this era. So when T-Pain is going off, it may look comical. He may come across as, you know... Mr. Get Off of My Lawn rapper yelling at a cloud. But he's not wrong. He's definitely not wrong on that. Dr. Dre agreed with him over on social media when he posted that. And that's coming from Dr. Dre, somebody who's worked with a lot of rappers, not just from back in the day, but from each generation. I mean, think about it. Snoop, or sorry. Well, yeah, he's one of them. But uh, Dr. Dre went from Easy e to Snoop to Exhibit to Eminem, to 50 Cent, to Kendrick Lamar. Like, he has his DNA in a lot of rappers over the last three to four decades. So I would assume that Dre knows what he's talking about. And T-Pain, to his full credit, knows what he's talking about as well. Nobody was doing autotune on a consistent basis to the extent that he did it until he got in the game. And the joke is, people will clown T-Pain, or people will clown T-Pain for doing, you know, this autotune stuff. But the moment Kanye did auto-tune on the, on the Lollipop remix, or I think it was Lil Wayne who did, the Lollipop, uh, who did auto-tune first on, on the Lollipop, that's when everyone was doing auto-tune. Everyone. Like, auto-tune exploded once, pe- 
once other rappers and singers were doing it. And even R&B singers, like, people who actually know how to sing were doing the auto-tune. It's like, you don't need auto-tune. You don't need it. So it's like, give the man his, like, give the man his credit. He knows what he's talking about. Like, Kanye basically jacked his entire sound when he came out with 808s and Heartbreaks. 808s and Heartbreaks. He's singing in auto-tune and he's doing it over 808 bass and drums. That was literally T-Pain's career up until that point. Everything had an 808 drum to it. He was singing in auto-tune, talking about heartbreaks. That was T-Pain's career up until that point. And Kanye made one album out of it, and Kanye, became, and Kanye was credited as being the innovator of that sound. Not to mention taking Kid Cudi's sound in the process as well. But we want to clown T-Pain. Like, T-Pain's got skin in the game. He's been in the game for 15 years. He has Grammys to his name, songwriting credits to his name. And get this, Pain can actually sing without autotune. Without autotune. So I'm not mad at him for, for putting out this video. I'm not even clowning him. Like, he was animated as hell, but he knew what he was talking about. Case in point. So that's my take on that. Um, I have no ill will towards T-Pain. In fact, I commend him for saying what he said. Sure, he's got to sound like an old head to somebody who's like 15 or 16 years old, but he made points in that video. And if you get past the theatrics of it, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. But hey, do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, let me know. And it's time for that part of the show that you all know and love so well, that final segment that we love to do. And with that said, it goes a little something like this. Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's wankster goes to none other than Karen from Victoria's Secret. Now, I'm not going to give out her real name because she doesn't deserve that kind of publicity from me. But we're going to call her Karen from Victoria's Secret. Or we could just call her Victoria's Secret Karen. Let's just call her that. So Victoria's Secret Karen is getting the wankster of the week because of the fact that she not only tried to assault a another black shopper while she was there but when she realized that that black shopper had the camera on her that's when she decided to play victim who would have thunk it now we've seen karen's do this in the past before but this one took it to a whole new level so when we see the footage take place for the first time all we see is the karen raise her hand and appeared to strike the black woman holding the video camera. But it wasn't until after that Karen realized that she was being video cameraed or videotaped rather, this woman busted out the crocodile tears and started breaking down and went on her knees and everything and started acting all hysterical and frantic. There was even a point in time where she was laying on her back, shaking her entire body like she was having a seizure and was screaming, get the camera out of my face. Get the camera out of my face. Oh, my God, with my raisin casserole, get it out of my face. And the woman holding the camera was like, what the hell is going on? Like, all I wanted to do was come to Victoria's Secret and use my use my coupon for free panties. And I can't even do that because Karen's out here spazzing. It was wild. It was even one point in time during the video where 
Victoria's Secret Karen actually, quote-unquote, fainted on the ground. And not only did she, quote-unquote, faint, but she just so happened to conveniently land her head comfortably on her purse. Oh, my God, the theatrics are so real. It's almost, it's, it's almost like watching Lion King on Broadway. So theatrical. And then there's also another point in the video where the black woman still had the camera on her, as he should, because she got to protect herself. And basically, the camera started chasing her down. She started chasing her down. Like, what? And then eventually the police came, and the police are just taking down her questions and everything like that. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on. This woman has been a nuisance for the past, I don't know, let's just say half an hour, give or take, I'm guessing. And you're still entertaining her questioning? Why don't you just escort her out of the mall? Because we know if it was in reverse, if it was the black woman making an uproar, she would have been arrested. But you're out here listening to this flimsy-ass Karen while she's trying to bust out her white girl tears? Come on now. Come on. So because of the theatrics, because of her weaponizing her white privilege, and because of her just being a despicable, self-entitled human being as a whole, Victoria's Secret Karen is getting the wankster of the week. And believe me, that in and of itself is no secret. And on that note, we conclude today's episode, ladies and gents. want to thank y'all for tuning in. As always, you guys already know, y'all are the best. Y'all are my day ones. Y'all are my A1s from day ones, in fact. So I appreciate y'all. Um, find me on Twitter, or not even just on Twitter, but any social media platform, at Cool Radio CC. We're on multiple ones. Also, look for Cool Radio on your podcast of choice, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, what's it called? <coughs> Pardon me. Google Podcasts. We're on there as well. Uh, find us on there. And yeah, you already know I'm, I'm going to keep on hitting you guys up with these topics on a week to bi weekly basis and go from there. I got guests lined up, so stay tuned for that. I'll keep you guys posted on that as well. But for now, it's been real. And I've been your man, DM Cool. And you guys already know Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.